Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 82. We also invite you to join our private Facebook group. To receive an invitation, send an email to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com and tell us your biggest need or problem when it comes to Christianity. We'll get an invitation right out to you. Yeah, it was interesting to have that kind of conversation just before coming into work. So here I am, I'm working today or trying to, and then I came across this article. I got totally just blown away by this, you know, this article, three youth group lessons I've had to unlearn. Tell me more about that. Let's just roll it. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, this is what I've been working on when it comes to, um, uh, you know, responding to Tommy. So I put out uh, three posts a series of three posts, um, and then I've started another series of three posts, just trying to draw together some of the comments I'm making to Tommy on the relationship between um, application and theory, where she's seeing, hey, you know, Greg, seems like theory is much more important to you. And um, I'm sort of saying, well, no, actually, it's, it's not. Application is more important, but I feel like I have to approach it through theory because of the way, um, well, certain things are kind of oriented within evangelical Christianity. And so um, when this person is writing in this article, if you go down, you know, the so first... how do you find this thing? Like, are you a reader? Are you a regular reader of relevantmagazine.com? No, no, I'm not at all. And this is the funky thing. <laughs> How'd I mean, you get there? Well, okay. It's, I'm going to come back as a little, it's, it's not a podcast plug, but it, it, the reality is through the private Facebook uh, group that we have for the podcast, you know, I keep my eyes on that. And so today I actually posted another, as I mentioned, the, the, the two or the three part uh, series responding kind of to Tommy's, uh, you know, questions or kind of view that maybe theory is more important than application to me. Um, I posted the second and third of those on our private Facebook group. And while I was there, of course, I poked around in, you know, what's going on in terms of the, you know, the, the kind of, um, I don't even know, I'm such a newbie to Facebook. <laughs> I don't even know what to call it. But, you know, that, that kind of your homepage or section where, you know, some of the things from people you know are posted. Where so Facebook decides what you should know, essentially. Well, kind of, I don't <laughs> that's, know. But. No, that's the beef with Facebook is that what shows up in your news feed is completely based on their algorithm. And unlike other platforms like Google Plus or Twitter, you don't see every single thing that everyone posts. Right. They kind of decide what shows up there. And for online marketers, that's annoying because, of course, you want to know that the message that you publish will get in front of all your readers. Yes. And the way around that is to buy ads. So little online marketing lesson for today. Carry on. Guru Postra. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I saw that one of the – it's actually somebody that I had – uh, Susan and I had met at Labrie in 2007 when we were there, and she puts up some interesting stuff. So I, I sort of, uh, you know, have her stuff pop up whenever she posts, and she posted this uh, piece. Just uh, she, she she linked into uh, an article on Relevant Magazine entitled Three Youth Group Lessons I've Had to Unlearn." 
They were very poignant. I relate to almost all of them. (laughs) Oh, okay. You got to tell me about this a little more, but um, I'll tell you, I'll I'll, I'll come back to you in a second. I'll just tell you what the first one, uh, I got got into the first one. It's the first lesson to unlearn is um, your classmates slash peers slash friends slash teachers are going to persecute you for your faith. And I'll just read two paragraphs within this part. Um, I spent the majority, this is um, an author, the author of the post. I spent the, the duration of junior high and high school braced against the entire student body, sure that they secretly mocked slash hated slash despised me. I wore Christian t-shirts like some kind of bulletproof vest. I memorized all of the brilliant apologetic arguments in favor of Christianity in case any teacher or student ever cornered me in the hall and forced me to debate my faith. <laughs> but no one ever did. It uh, yeah! <laughs> How true and is that, that? The next one, too, I loved. This was so... so I, I really value what this person wrote here. I think they're dead on and they're very, really honest. What actually happened is that I distanced myself from everyone who didn't believe like I did. It wasn't that they didn't like me. It was that I had barred my arms in an eternal defensive pose and no one could even get close. So after a while, they stopped trying. Perfect. And this is exactly what I'm saying about this idea that um, part of what's going on and part of the reason why theory has to come into play is because if we're going to try and overcome this, so this is a person saying, in other words, this, this idea of barring your arms in a defensive posture, you're not going to be able to overcome that by simply having a debate about what the best way of approaching a situation is. In other words, when application, like the, a way of applying or being uh, relevant in a practical sense, when practical application, hey, you know, I've got to be open to these people, meets another practical application that says, no, 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 you've got to be defensive. You've got to be careful because there's Christian identity and values here to protect. When these two things go up against each other, they're going to just stalemate. Give an example, because I don't think I totally follow. You're fired up about this, but I'm not. I have totally. I'm fired not catching the fire. I'm not catching uh, the. Can you can you put like a real example on both sides? Well, I'll go along with the author of this uh, here. Let me just uh, find. I think it's her name, Addie Zierman. Uh, so Addie, Addie wrote this. I'll go along with Addie. You know, um, I'm not sure. I didn't wear any Christian t-shirts at high school, during high school, but I did have this sort of attitude and I did have this sort of expectation. And you mentioned you could relate to this too? Well, I could relate to some of the other ones. Well, I think mine were much more subtle. This whole thing Uh, that people will persecute you because you're a Christian, I still hear it today. But I think, well, like number two, we'd be getting ahead of ourselves. I think I relate to and have heard more of the, the latter two more. But okay. We'll keep those there as a teaser so people keep listening. Continue. <laughs> okay, good enough. Well, uh, let, me, let me put this out there. So what I was writing on, I'm going to go back and flip between m- the posts that I wrote in response to uh, Tommy's concern about my f- over or maybe excessive focus on theory and this post by Addy. And so I think what Addy's saying is, hey, you know, I have this defensive view, this defensive posture. Um, what she's not saying is where it came from. You know, she had to unlearn it from youth group because it was just kind of taught that they were going to hate you. But I think there's more to it there. Well, you have to be ready at any moment to give a defense of your faith, Mm. which is based on some Bible verse. Yeah, and I think a lot of this is based on um, 
that same Bible verse, the some Bible verse. <laughs> it, I know what it's in Timothy, I think, but I'm not sure. <laughs> no, it's it's a real verse. It's not like the God helps those that help themselves <laughs> verse. <laughs> it doesn't exist. <laughs> God helps those who help themselves. Yeah, that's a popular one. Um, that was so funny. I was I remember I was in high school washing the car and I was listening to Christian radio washing the car and and that came on. I was like, you know how the Bible says God helps those that help themselves. My dad happened to be in the garage. He goes, hey, where's that found? I was like, I don't know. It's in there somewhere. He goes, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I think Benjamin Franklin is attributed to that quote. Continue. Okay. So you've got this idea. And I'm not saying by saying some verse, I'm not indicating that there is no biblical backing for these things. That's not what I'm saying. Um, I'm saying something a little bit more, well, much more specific and much more focused, which is that I think we are taking and understanding the um, the biblical backdrop and context, the verses, in a way that they should not be taken, and in a way that, that is very culturally bound, right? No one now that I know of is being taken seriously, at least, for making a claim to being a divinity. In antiquity, in first century Palestine, Caesar was taken very seriously. That was a very, very serious claim, right? You could lose your life over that. That's a serious claim. So there's a conflict between divinities. And there's going to be, if you're claiming a god other than Caesar and you're in, you're in first century Palestine, you know, woe betide. That is bad news for you, dude. Don't do it. Or be very, very careful. We don't have the same sort of thing. So... Uh, and, and this kind of idea that uh, Christianity is foolishness to these people and a stumbling block to these people. Well, the whole Jewish question is is very different now. So I'm not saying that there is no adversity, and I'm not saying that Christianity does not in any way uh, kind of offer rub people in such a way that it provokes a response that could be considered generally negative. I'm not saying that. But I think what I'm looking at is this difference between how we would normally want to carry on an interaction with someone and then how, when it comes to Christian situations, we end up carrying them out. And we end up carrying them out in Christian situations much more aggressively or much more, if you like, defensively because we have certain understandings that from the Bible that are there in the text and that I am sure in their original context meant what we believe that they mean or believe what they meant. In other words, there was real opposition. There really was this kind of animosity. There really was this sort of persecution. But now I think the greater uh, threat that Christians typically face is not persecution, but simply being ignored. Christianity is not so much a problem as this irrelevancy. It's irrelevant. I remember uh, there's a fellow who wrote a book called The Day Metallica Came to Church. He's a pastor in Calgary, Alberta. He was invited because of the success of the book. And it was indeed a case where Metallica, the rock band Metallica, heard that he was preaching something called the gospel according to Metallica. They were in town for a concert and they said, we're coming. Can we bring our cameras? And the guy said, yeah. And they did. And what ended up happening is 
he was later on because of this sort of notoriety, but also not just notoriety, but his engagement. He's willing to, to he's engaging with Metallica, who are you know this kind of I don't know if they're death metal, but they're kind of they're close, right? They're they're serious metal band, definitely not Christian. And he was invited to uh, a conference, and I'm I, I'm not sure if it was an atheism conference or if the conference was just heavily populated by a lot of atheists, and he got to speak with these guys. And they said to him, or he, he said to them, you know, what's the biggest issue with Christianity? And to a one, they responded this way. Christianity is irrelevant and Christians just don't get that. They act like their beliefs are actually relevant. And in this case, like they're defending them against something. And this is, this comes right back to this article, right? This, this, this young woman is, has been taught from youth group, as she claims, or maybe church more generally, that you need to defend your beliefs, and you're going to be called upon to give an account for them. No, you're not. These people don't even care. Christianity is not even relevant. It's not even on the map. It's a totally different way of seeing things. And so this, this too, this, this shift in terms of your practical engagement with people, what's happening, as far as I can see, is that Christians continue to apply Christian categories to other people including the idea of non-Christian, right? That's a Christian category. People who are not Christians don't call themselves non-Christians. They may call themselves many things, but they don't call themselves that. And so part of what's going on, as far as I can see, is that, you know, when Christians engage with other people in certain ways, and this is a kind of moving down the track towards some of the discussion I was having in these blog posts of mine, they will engage with certain set of rules. But when it comes to something where their faith is in question, where they think their faith is in question, they have a different set of rules. It becomes more about um, truth, God's truth, keeping God's truth, you know, preserving it, defending it. And so what I've been talking about a lot in the blog posts I've been making is this idea of a, if you will, a boundary-focused perspective. And I think we've raised this before in a earlier podcasts. But one of the uh, characteristics of this boundary-focused approach is that it's a, one is very ready to assume a defensive posture, which is making a couple of assumptions. One is there's something to defend, right? And that would be sort of Christian values and identity. But the other is that there's someone that I have to defend these things against. And I think this is a huge, huge misunderstanding and that this woman, um, Addie Zierman, has really brought this out. No, nobody was waiting to jump on me. It didn't happen, right? And I don't think she's in an unusual situation. But she also pushes this a little farther than I think where you're going, which is that it's all up to you. In other words, the responsibility. Of it. So number two is, I'll, I'll throw this out. Number two is your friend's salvation hinges on how well you can defend the gospel. And then number three is you have to do something to make a difference for God. Hmm. To me, this is the guilt-ridden message of God did this amazing thing for you. Now, what are you going to do for him? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she's taken that in or she's trying to get rid of it because she's taken it in and found it problematic. Say more about this too. I'm, not, I'm still not seeing the... I'm still not seeing the two sides that you're bringing up or the two things that are in conflict or the two things that are not connecting. Well, I think... Can you summarize them? Let me try. So what I'm seeing is this person is giving a practical example of what I'm looking at right now, which is the, the main problem 
is not that Christianity needs defending. The main problem is that by and large, Christianity is seen as irrelevant. So whose job, but whose job is to make it relevant? Uh, well, (laughs) (laughs) okay. (laughs) I, I think that's the Christian's job to show that it is relevant. I think that, I think that is the job. In other words, I think, I think some of this idea about defending, just like Addy is saying here, I think it's fictionalized. So when you see somebody and they they say, oh, yeah, well, I don't, I don't believe that. I don't think that's a whatever a good way of seeing it. That might be many things. It might be a comment that's dropped, like we talked about, you know, just this kind of dropping comments and the courtesy. Maybe, it's, maybe I just want to give a, a courtesy. Eh, I don't know about that. I'll leave it at that. Maybe it's the beginning of, of a discussion. Right. But one thing that it's likely that I would want to think twice about if I were an evangelical Christian, because I'm primed, just like this person here is saying, I was primed all through my high school to think this way. But all I did is, is estrange people. Right. I did nothing. I accomplished nothing towards the goal that I had. And instead, I got in the way of that goal by the very orientation that I was taught. And, and this is this idea that I don't know. I've got the truth or Christians have the truth and, you know, non-Christians are, you know, sinners in rebellion to God and uh, Christianity is a stumbling block and all these other things. Well, you know what? In some senses, I still agree with those notions. I think they're correct. But in other senses, in the more general sort of everyday notion, no, I don't think so. I think Christianity has by and large become irrelevant. These people aren't deciding about Christianity or if they have, if most non-Christians made a decision about Christianity, they probably made it a long time ago. Most adults that I talk to at least, right? Or they don't even make a decision about it. It's just this foregone conclusion that it's this useless bunk. It has no value. And this is what the atheists were telling this guy who had Metallica, this pastor who had Metallica come to church and film the, the sermon. You know, good for you. Looks like you're engaging. But, you know, honestly, most of Christianity is totally irrelevant. We don't, we don't have a beef with Christianity. We just have nothing to do with it. It's stupid and useless. Well, until Christians get that message, they're going to keep coming across with this idea that we have to defend ourselves. I think they're even going to. Well, that's it. what the irony I see there is that the, there's, it almost becomes a blind spot then. Exactly. Because, because you're in this world of like, oh, the the you know i'm gonna be persecuted or attacked at any moment so i gotta be ready yeah or you and rather you start seeing non-christians according to your categories so i remember being i'm sure i told you about this this was so disturbing i'm there at a church and talk about the courtesy nods you know there's this discussion taking place after a a video series which was the the and, uh, <laughs> oh, this you know always how, gets you fired up. <laughs> I, this, this, this truth seminar thing, or I think it's called the truth seminar or, or truth. Uh, yeah, I can't even remember. It's, it's so terrible. So, so absolutely. Yeah, we're going to have to go into that at some point. But, um, and one of the attend, attendees, you know, during the discussion period said, referred to non-Christians and how they are hiding from God. Now, how on earth can someone who does not believe in God, who does not believe Christianity has any value, who is not the least bit concerned about how welcoming or unwelcoming any given church happens to be, how on earth is that person hiding from God? Well, they're hiding from God. They just don't know that they're hiding from God. That's what I, that's the, <laughs> I would, I've heard explanations like that too. 
Maybe Even they're not if, hiding, but they have a they have a god shaped hole and an emptiness in their life. But and how do you they think don't the really they don't really do know that they have that emptiness, but it's there. This kills me. <laughs> and how do you think a conversation is going to go when I have that sort of? Well, you're going to pity them. You're going to look down on the oh those poor people that don't have God. They don't know <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, and I'm going to keep looking for ways in the conversation about how I can draw this out. Right, how I can draw out how they're hiding from God. Well, you know what? That, that's got no. All I'm doing is making them into this kind of two dimensional model of me on a bad day. Hey, you're like backslidden me. So you're making up a bunch of assumptions about what they're thinking, what they're feeling, and where they're coming from, which yeah, how would may you like or most likely won't be true at all. Exactly. And how would you like to be in that conversation? Like, how long would that last for you, realistically? So when Christians, and this is the thing that just, I want to beat my, my fist on the table, is that when Christians have uh, conversations with non-Christians and they, they, they go south for whatever reason or they're non-starters or, you know, there's really no traction there and they walk away, nine times out of ten, and I'm talking more kind of, uh, you know, um, apologetic type conversations, conversations where we're talking about Christianity, not just talking about the weather or your neighbors and you're talking about your mutual fence. Uh, But when they have those apologetically related conversations or based conversations and they go south for whatever reason or have no traction, nine times out of 10, my understanding from Christians is that, well, this is just an indication of how, you know, these people are, unfortunately, they're, they're blind or they're they're sinners or they're this or they're that. Their hearts are hardened. Their hearts are hardened. Well, no, actually, it's because you've pigeonholed them. You've mistreated them. You've devalued them. You show them no respect in the way you talk to them. Um, and how on earth can, you know, anything good come of that? Yeah, and so I guess it's that idea that we've totally uh, – We've, 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 we're misrepresenting them. We're misunderstanding them. We're viewing them as us. We're looking down on them. Like there's just that, that's a no win situation. Like part of, part of the question, a big question that I want to ask is that if those are the circumstances, what does it mean when someone does, um, I don't know, accept something positively out of that type of conversation? What does it mean if somebody does view Christianity well? What does it, what does it mean if, that, if within that, that, that framework um, uh, someone becomes a Christian? And honestly, my view there, and you may, I don't know what you think about this, but I would think that that, that is an extremely warped way to embrace Christianity. And, and the, the only way that I can see that, that that type of interaction would be effective is if somebody's dealing with if we're dealing with a very dysfunctional person, you know, and this is, this is very reminiscent for me of what it was like in the first seven years when I was a Christian, I became a Christian and, you know, unbeknownst to me, I'm a teenager, but God was very much my father. You know, in other words, the Christian God had all of the characteristics of my dad. And let me tell you, some of those characteristics weren't very good, but this is what I had been trained to anticipate. This is how I knew father or any sort of notion of somebody over me in authority. And I just implied all that into, imputed all that onto my, my Christian beliefs. And 
no wonder um, those beliefs didn't hold up against real-life situations that were difficult and nasty. Well, it's interesting, the la- her number three point kind of ties into that. So number three says she had to unlearn the, the notion that you have to do something to make a difference for God. And she writes, youth group kids are so often pulsing with possibility, wild with hope and optimism. They want to do big things. It's natural to want to tap into that desire to show them that faith itself can be exciting and extraordinary and dangerous and beautiful. But at the same time, <laughs> what we don't need is a bunch of kids hopped up on a kind of Red Bull faith, over-caffeinated and overtired, and then finally crashing into the ground. I belong to a generation of on-fire kids who careened like fireworks through the dark world and then burned out. We don't need that. And my own editorial comment there would be, I never really became a firework, and I never really completely burned out. I just didn't get it. Yeah. And then she kind of closes, the Christian walk is a long... I'm curious what you think of this. The Christian walk is a long journey, so often mundane and difficult, putting one foot in front of the other, seeing nothing, feeling nothing, and linking faith with extraordinary actions and extraordinary feelings makes it so much harder for us when we slam into the inevitable ordinary. Hmm. Not sure. I'm, I kind of see what she's saying, but mm-hmm. I also wonder if you would say if there isn't, a, there isn't, there are some extraordinary aspects to Christianity, I think you would say too, though, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would say it's both. But I, I, I can relate to this kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> kids hopped up on a kind of Red Bull faith, over-caffeinated, over-tired. And, and yeah, these, these sort of enormous expectations. And I think what we need to be engaged with and prepared for are both. You know, what might it, what, what are the exceptional sorts of experiences and situations that, that may occur? How would I be able to distinguish them? You know, and, and I think one of the things that I found extraordinary is I, I presented part of my thesis to, uh, well, this past summer at Labrie and, um, one or two students read pieces of the thesis and it was interesting to me because one of the, I know one student definitely did and, and we talked a little bit and not, not enough to, to have a full sense that, yeah, he'd really kind of grasped what I was saying. But I, after that, I put out a writing over the, that summer, one of the finished pieces was about experience and how we actually go about vetting our experience. How do we determine what's, what's real and what's not real? How do we engage in that way? How do we read, right? How do we become, as I've said a couple of times before, good readers of ourselves and of our experience? And what was so striking to me, I gave this piece to a couple of people and they're bright, they're bright people and they could not make heads or tails of it. Like, ah, uh, yeah, I kind of get it, but I just don't really get it. And I guess it was just so striking to me that we really don't teach people any of these skills. Like if you're coming up with some of these skills, you've probably been to counseling. You spent some time with somebody who's helped you take stock of who you are, why you are the way you are why you make some of the choices, why some of the choices you made and you thought were good might have been problematic for you, etc. Wait, but how do you know that the problem wasn't that what you wrote wasn't clear? Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're kind of leaving well, that out. <laughs> no, no, I, I'll, I'll say, in as much as I can say so, I'll say that what I wrote in my thesis was far less, like I've had, here, I'll put it this way. Right, the first couple of blog posts I put out back in 2011, I remember some of your responses, and like, because you gave me feedback, and you you were telling me, ah, oh, man, 
uh, I don't really get this. So in other words, I wrote the thesis before I had any of your input and before I really worked at presenting my writing in an approachable everyday way. The other piece that I wrote just this past summer was written in that everyday way. It was a little more technical, but it wasn't anything like the thesis. The thesis is, uh, you know, I, I think it could have been written a little bit better, but it was definitely written for a select audience. It was definitely very technical. You know, one of my supervisors, both my supervisors urged me to publish it and both of them urged me, said, you know, it's written for an extremely narrow audience. You were writing for specialists here. And if you're going to get more of a, an audience, you're going to have to uh, make this a little more approachable. Um, so, you know, yeah, maybe I, I didn't hit um, as close to the mark as I thought with, the, with what I wrote in the summer. But I think it was not so much we don't understand what you're writing as these concepts don't even make sense to us. I can't even grasp them. And that I found shocking because at least in one case, the guy's a very bright, bright fellow. And uh, I, was, I was very surprised. So I guess what I would say is I don't think there's anything, we're doing anything in terms of how we're uh, teaching people in the church about how to deal with exceptional experiences of God, how to deal with, you know, the mundane, as she's saying, um, yeah, I think it's both. So how clear, I mean, how clear is some of that about those two, maybe, I don't know if I'm looking at two ways of seeing it, but, but a problem that I think this article is saying, Hey, yeah, that was my life. I think I get the article, but I still don't see the tie in between the theoretical and the practical. Right. Oh, okay. Well, I think, I think the tie in there is, is if somebody is saying, in other words, um, this person, Addie, might go back to her former youth pastor who's maybe still at her church. And maybe Addie, I mean, by looking at her picture, I don't know how old she is. She's younger than I am. Let's say she's uh, 25 and the youth pastor is still there. And she says, you know what? I really don't think we should be quite as defensive, quite as kind of worried that somebody's going to you know, approach us in the hallway and we're going to have to spout off all these answers or that they – People who aren't Christians dislike me or, or hate me or kind of um, find me offensive. And the youth pastor might say, well, Hattie, I've got a bunch of Bible verses here. And, and you know what? They talk about non-Christians being in rebellion to God and, uh, you know, finding Jesus as a stumbling block and uh, basically being oriented to Christians in a way that's quite negative. So I, I think actually I'm right to teach people to have their arms crossed and be kind of defensive. And I'm really glad for you, Addie, that it worked out for you, but I think that was just your case. How do you adjudicate that conversation? How do you go anywhere? What I'm suggesting is you don't. If you maintain the conversation at the level of, hey, my practical approach is be more open, and the pastor says, my practical approach is be more defensive, you've got a stalemate, right? And the pastor can say, hey, that's just your experience, Addie. And Addie can say, hey, well, there are other verses in the Bible. Well, sorry, I've got my verses, you've got yours. Addie, you have your experience, but I've got two other people with a different experience. How do you adjudicate? And what I'm seeing is the way to adjudicate is to go back and examine the theories that underlie both of those approaches. We want to move forward in a practical way so that, for, for instance, you know, if, if someone like myself believes that Christianity is real and is valuable— I don't want my discussions about it and presentations of it to non-Christians to result in people shaking their head because they 
feel like I totally haven't understood who they are and I'm just seeing them as another version of me. That is the, one of the most disrespectful things I can imagine. But it's only when I look at the theory that undergirds both these positions that I'm able to say, oh, okay, well, you know what? Now I can see a bit of a difference. Now I can see some things in one side of the, of, you know, the theory that I think are problematic or maybe more problematic I than get the it. other side. Yeah? I get it. Okay. <laughs> no, I and, think that I think the most succinct summary you had there was the need to be able to understand the theory under both perspectives to be able to adjudicate between the two perspectives. That yeah. was that did it for me. Now I get it. Okay. Yeah. And and I've got at this point I guess what I would say is that is the track I'm on. Like in a very broad, high-level 30,000-foot view, that's what I'm aiming for. I'm aiming for good practical traction when it comes to does this belief set work? Does Christianity work? Is it viable? Does it make my life better? Is there a good reason why people who live on my, my street or who live in another town or live in another country should think about this as a really valid option? And of course, I want to, I, my answer to that, uh, each one of those is yes, but I want the way that I live and interact with people to allow for that yes to be more possible, more productive, more fruitful than, than not. And the only way to do that, the only way, given some of the, I would say, misunderstandings. And uh, so I, I, I'm going to drop these. I'm not going to touch them, right? I'm just going to put them out there. We can talk about them again. Misunderstandings, um, misformulations. And, and just, yeah, some, some, sometimes some slapdash ways of doing things is we, we've, we've, we've got to correct those. Those are problematic and they have some really negative impacts in terms of not only how Christians interact with those who aren't Christians, but in terms of how Christians live their lives. You know, what happens? How does it work out for you? Is this fulfilling? Is it not? Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts or questions on this episode, so leave a comment at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 82. We also invite you to join our private Facebook group. To receive an invitation, send an email to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com and tell us your biggest need or problem when it comes to Christianity. We'll get an invitation right out to you. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode.